you know what I'm going to talk about tonight? Don't worry about it. How many of you dealt with worry in the last year? I just want to see how many liars are in the church. How many have not dealt with worry in the last year? Watch out now. God's watching. You have not dealt with worry in the last year. How many have dealt with worry this week? Okay. How about today? Oh, then I'm on target tonight. I am on target tonight. And you know, Philippians is going to talk about that in chapter four. So that's where we're going. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've got a word for us to help us walk with you, talk with you, grow in you, experience peace in the middle of the storm. That Lord, we, we would not only survive, but, but spiritually we would thrive. Now, Lord, I'm just praying what Paul prayed for the church, that, that Lord Christ would be formed in us, that we would grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ, into maturity, into Christ-likeness, into having the mind of Christ, walking in the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. Lord, help us to be like you. And as we enter into chapter four of Philippians, now that you gave to us, we just pray that you'll feed us from the good word of God. Now, will you breathe the prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart in Jesus' name. I receive it tonight, enough to do it after I've heard it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight. And I want to welcome those of you watching by webcast and tell you also the cameras aren't fully paid for yet. Another myth. All right. I love busting myths. All right. Now, how many of you read ahead in Philippians? Let me ask this. And I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but let me just put you on the spot. How many of you have managed to get into a habit of reading the Bible daily? Okay, that is wonderful. I can't tell you what that does for me because I know that you're never going to grow unless you do it. You're never going to walk in victory until you do it. But um, so that's, that's a blessing to me because that is so key. And I say that because tonight we're going to talk about having inner strength and Paul's going to deal with some real issues about where we live. He's going he's gonna to really mess with our stuff. Have you noticed as you read the Bible daily, it messes with your stuff? God meddles with your stuff, and he doesn't apologize for it. Amen? All right. Now, last time we ended with talking about how faith is not measured by spiritual possessions. Can I say that again? Faith is not measured by material possessions, but by spiritual fruit. God never, in the word, ever measures somebody's faith or equates faith with things. Never. He never says, well, look at all those possessions they've got, so that means they have faith. No, he always measures faith by spiritual fruit, by fruitfulness. Now, Paul had written, and we looked at it last time, about those who contend, in other words, they teach, that godliness is a means to financial gain. They say if you're godly, it's going to equate into financial prosperity. If you're godly, godliness equals prosperity. Now I'm just reading the Bible here. I'm not making this up. This is not a Jeffism. I'm just reading it way back in Paul's day. He said, there are those who contend 
that godliness is a means to money, to financial gain. And then in another place, he points out those who peddle the word of God for profit. Now, I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore, and it just happened back then. Amen? Everybody say there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. He, 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 said, he said there's people that peddle the word of God for profit. Now, now the word peddle refers to those who market the ministry for personal gain. They're not in it primarily or solely to bless others, but they're in it because they look at it and they go, wow, if I can talk good and I can get up there and teach a certain message and I've got some charisma and I've got an ability with a crowd, I can make some fast money. I can make some good money. And and they begin to equate Or one of the messages is, if you have faith, you will have stuff. But I showed you last time that James talked about how God made the poor in this world rich in faith. Well, what's what's up with that? If a lot of faith equates into a lot of stuff, then how can they still be poor if they're rich in faith? The answer is, faith does not... Now, God may bless you with things. I'm not saying he doesn't. I like it when God blesses me with things. I'm not saying he doesn't. But here's what I am saying, and I want you as, as a, our church to understand that the message that godliness must and should equal financial gain is not true. It's not true. Because you can travel all the world and fi- find out it's not true. That you can have all kinds of faith. Listen, Paul said, I've got the clothes on my back. Jesus, Jesus, I've heard people teach that he was rich. That's insane. Um, Jesus was not rich. Jesus had what he needed. And the Bible lets us know that there were women who followed around in his, in his ministry, and they contributed to his ministry. He had contributors. He had helpers. He had givers. But he was never rich. Um, I, I just want us to understand that if, that if you love God and you don't have a bunch of things, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't shout me down now. I mean, you know, if God wants to, I know people that are, that are very well off. And, and you know what Paul says to them? Be careful that you don't put your trust in those riches. And, and be sure that you give uh, um, big time, that you give a lot of it away, that you give um, to different people's needs and ministry needs. But, but never, never does the Bible truly teach that if you have Faith, you're going to have a lot of things. Now, uh, and I want you just to be aware that, that there's messages out there. There's people on television and radio, not me. I'm on radio, but I don't teach this. But it's out there a lot who, who will say, um, I heard one this week. This week I heard it, and, and it so bothered me. It was a, a teacher saying that if you give your money to this ministry, your runaway child may come home. Now I'm quoting it. I heard it this week. Like you've got to give money to make God move on your behalf. See, we got to be careful we don't go there. Because God, does God respond to money or does God respond to faith? Or can you buy God off? No, you can't. But the message a lot of the time is 
There are certain things that are never going to happen in your life until you give God money. And the way you give God money is to give it to me. And as soon as the money comes to me, your runaway child is coming home or you're going to be healed or whatnot. I want to be careful here. I want to teach you in a balanced way that if you don't have a dime in your pocket, but you pray in faith for God to move, God responds to faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God responds to faith. You can't buy God off. Can you imagine going up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, here's a $100 bill. Heal my eyes. Would Jesus have taken it? Never. Never. Jesus would have said, hey, forget it. You don't have to give me any money. Ask me. You have not because you ask not. And if we know we prayed according to his will, we know we have it, right? So, so, I mean, I'm just wanting you to get the balance here is what I'm saying. And watch out for people that are peddling the word of God to to get your money. Now, I believe we ought to give to the works of God. I think you ought to give to your local church. I talked about it before I started teaching tonight because we're reaching people for the gospel all over the world, all right? But... I'm not going to say to you that healing you need will happen when you give your tithe. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not going to do it. Or if you don't tithe, you are cursed by God. I'm not going to say it. I think we ought to give out of a heart of thanksgiving, out of a heart of love, a heart of compassion, and we ought to give because God has blessed us. So, In closing out chapter 3, the apostle talks about our position in Christ. He says in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's our citizenship? It is in heaven. Now, we are citizens of the United States, those listening to me right here. But we are also citizens of heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship that is better than a U.S. citizenship. We literally have a citizenship in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. If you're a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven. Your name is in heaven. Your name is on heaven's rolls. You're known in heaven. In our heavenly country where we're going to go one day, this citizenship here on this earth is very brief. But the one in heaven is going to be forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And that's a long time forever. In our heavenly country, the Bible says the streets are paved with gold. The walls are built of jasper. The gates are made of pearl. Pearly gates. That's where that God opened up the pearly gates. Peter is not standing at the pearly gates. That's a myth too. But the, 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 the place where we are... We have a dual citizenship is replete with mansions built by Jesus himself. He did not give up the carpentry business when he went to heaven. He's still building. The book of Revelation reveals that there is a rainbow. Listen to these descriptions of heaven. A rainbow encircled throne where God sits. A crystal stream. No pollution. No cans. No paper cups. No garbage no debris, clear crystal stream. 
foundations sparkling with gems, and the tree of life is in the middle of the new Jerusalem. In our glorious heavenly country, I love this, there's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no guilt, there's no fear, there's no doubt. There's no hospitals, there's no prisons, there's no retirement homes, there's no cancer, there's no heart disease, there's no extra strength, excedrin, migraine, headaches, there's no joint pain, there's no arthritis, there's none of the, listen, there's no need for doctors because there's no sickness, no disease, no illness. We are perfectly and completely whole. Amen. 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 Come on, give him praise, everybody, because we're going there. And I really like this. No sobs are ever heard in our heaven. No cries, no sighs. Only endless praise and worship echo throughout its glorious streets, and you're never going to get tired of worshiping God ever. Thank God that he will soon make all things new. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen? Soon and very soon. Now, Paul closes chapter 3 with his favorite topic, the resurrection of our bodies. Look at what he says in verse 21. Who, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Now, I could spend the rest of the night on this, but let me just deal with two things quickly. Transform is from a Greek word, metamorpho, which we get metamorphosis from, and there's no better description than the cocoon, the cocoon. You got a little caterpillar crawling along. He's eating everything in sight. He's not pretty. He's, he's not attractive. He's nothing. He can't fly. He can't do anything. He just crawls and eats and crawls and eats and crawls and eats. But then he weaves himself into a cocoon. And in that cocoon, he undergoes a metamorphosis. And, and you can't see it because in the inside of the cocoon, he literally becomes a gel. He becomes a gel, jelly-like. It's a miracle of God. You know, God said, I've given you the things you can see to teach you about things you cannot see. Romans 1. I've I've given you what you can see with your eyes to teach you about things you can't see with your eyes. And so what what do we see with that little uh, caterpillar? Well, he gets in there and he he becomes just this massive gel. But then as time goes on, a metamorphosis happens on the inside of that cocoon uh, uh, hidden from the naked eye. And suddenly that cocoon opens up one day and out comes these beautiful multicolored wings and this creature that is totally unlike the caterpillar that first wove itself into that cocoon. Now it is a beautiful butterfly and it does this and it lifts off the ground and it can do all kinds of things the caterpillar could never do. It's prettier than the caterpillar. It has powers the caterpillar did not have. It is a totally new being, a totally new creature. And Paul is saying when Jesus Jesus comes back. He's going to transform us where we're going to become something we've never been before. We're going to have powers we did not have. We're going to be prettier than we are right now. We're going to have a glorified body. Come on, church of God. And what he does through the transformation, he's going to make us just like Jesus glorified body. And didn't he have a glorified body? Yep, he would walk through doors without opening them. 
He would think and he would be there. He would pop into rooms from nowhere. He would eat fish, but then walk through material objects. He lifted his hands and just started coasting up into heaven. He was a glorified body, a glorified body. And and we're all going to get one of those. It's going to be a body that you can't work out and obtain. You could work out every day of the week and never obtain this kind of body. Oh, man. I'm telling you, I could spend the rest of the night on this one. Along with a perfect city, we're going to have a perfect body. Free from sin, disease, weakness, pain, and imperfection. You'll no longer look in a mirror and say, oh, what has happened to me? How many of you have experienced that lately? Where did that come from and that come from and what's that about? And I never noticed that before. That's because we're in corruptible bodies, but we're going to get an incorruptible body. And it'll be just like that caterpillar into a butterfly. Hallelujah. And Paul tells us how God's going to do all of this for us. How, how will this happen? He says he'll do it according to the working by which he is able. Everybody say he is able. Even to subdue all things to himself. That means God can bring all things under submission to himself. He has power over all things. Now, Jesus is um, being spoken of by Paul as the resurrector, the active agent here. Jesus is the resurrector who will give us this glorified body. He confidently affirms, he, Jesus, is able to raise the dead. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus, the widow's son, and Jairus' daughter will raise us up. Jesus promised, it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. Now listen to the words of Jesus. I will raise them up at the last day. I will raise them up. I will. Can you say with me, what a mighty God we serve? Amen. Can we lift our hands and just thank the Lord tonight? Lord, thank you for the resurrection of our bodies that are coming, Lord. It's coming, and we thank you that Jesus is near even at the door. Amen, amen. Now, that's the end of chapter 3. Now, let's, let's go right into chapter 4. Now, Paul has been in the heavens at the end of chapter 3, but now he's bringing his attention back down to earth. And he talks very frankly about his deep love for the church. Listen to how he talks about the church. You would think he's writing a girlfriend. Really, think. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved, and longed for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. See, not only does Paul love them, he longs for them. It's almost like a man in love with a woman. Paul was not married to a woman, but he was definitely married to the church. Look how he talks to her. My beloved, my longed for. I mean, he he was not, for him, it had nothing to do with money. It had everything to do with, I love you. I truly care about you. You are my beloved. I, I I am hooked on you. I'm pouring out my life for you. I am not a hireling. I'm really with you, for you, praying for you, spilling my life out for you. And loving them, he had a burden for them. Stand fast in the Lord. 
Don't give in. Don't give up. Don't bow, bend, break, or back down. Stay true to the Lord. Don't be moved away from your profession. Stick with Jesus. You finish, you began strong, finish strong. Don't faint along the way. Get with God every day. Fill your tank every day. Remember that commercial? There's a tiger in the tank. That was a gasoline commercial. But let me tell you, you've got a real tiger in your tank. His name is Jesus. And, and you've got to feed that tiger. You've got to feed that tiger, the word of God, the good things of God. You've got to feed that tiger in your tank. Feed the, the inner man, the, 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 the new nature in you every day and stay strong in the long haul. This is a marathon. It's not a dash. It's, a, it's the long haul. And if you're going to make it in the long haul and break the tape at the end, then you've got to get with God every day. And Paul says, stand fast. Don't give in. Don't freak out over persecution. Don't give in to intimidation. Don't let people scare you, push you into a corner, intimidate you, or talk you out of your walk with God. Now he goes from there into meddling. He turns his thoughts to some discord that has existed among them. Now, he heard about this clearly. Somebody brought word to him all the way to Rome in prison. He's in prison, and somebody came to him and talked to him about two sisters. Uh-oh. And he names names. Uh-oh. You know, Paul named names all the time, but he named names here. Verse 2, I implore Euodia, and I implore Syntyche. To be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, let me tell you how this went down. Epaphroditus brought this letter from Paul and his, his, his prison all the way back to Philippi. And Epaphroditus gave it to the leadership of the church. And it was a letter to be read to the whole church. It's like this. If I came to you and said, all right, I've got a letter to be read to all of you from, let's say, oh, I don't know. Let's say James Robinson. Anybody. Anybody, Billy Graham, anybody. And, and, and I got to a certain point and I said, I implore Becky. And I, now, if you're a Becky, I don't <laughs> just ignore this. But I implore Becky and Judy to be of the same mind. In other words, quit squabbling and arguing and fighting. How would that go down with Becky and Judy sitting out here somewhere? Oh, my. Stick. And, and, you know, everybody knew who they were talking about because the whole church was aware of their issue because it got all the way to Paul in Rome. Their discord had begun to affect the whole body, and that's what happens when Christians don't settle their differences. It begins to spread, and it begins touching other people. And before you know it, it's hurting the whole church. So that's why... You hear me say pretty often, if you're here for very long, I say, uh, don't give an offense a long shelf life. Get it, on, get it right as quick as you can. Because if you don't deal with offenses quickly, they deepen, they put down roots, and, and they spread. As goes the root, so goes the fruit. And before you know it, the church is dealing with uh, an issue that began with two people or some little group of people. And it ought to be, as Barney would say, nip it in the bud. Right? Everybody say nip it. Quickly. And don't give the devil a chance to run with it. But these two women, somehow, 
they had let the devil run with it. So our guess is that he and the church leadership, this is my guess, had given hints and perhaps skirted around the issue, but it had gotten so bad they decided we're going to have to directly address this. And Paul, the main man, addressed it. Every eye was on these two women as it was read. Mercifully, the mention was very brief. He just said, be of the same mind, and that was his command. Be of the same mind. Now, folks, hear me. Being of the same mind doesn't mean you have to agree on every little thing. It's not talking about agreeing on everything, because we never will. Some of you disagree with me on some things I say. I mean, you're wrong, but that's okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but we don't have to agree on everything. But see, you can disagree and still be of the same mind. See, we, I, can, I can sit down with somebody who doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I can sit down with somebody who is in a, a denomination, and we're not. We're interdenominational. I can sit down with somebody who doesn't think, for instance, the gift of tongues is real. That doesn't break my fellowship with them. That's not a deal breaker. I can still be of the same mind with them, which means we worship the same Christ. We're going to the same heaven. We're all going to find out who was right and who was wrong when we get there. But in the meantime, I don't have to agree and you don't have to agree with me on every little thing. We can disagree on the non-essentials. Are you with me? Non-essentials. Non-essentials. There's tons of non-essentials. And churches split over non-essentials. No, you can't do that. Some believe that you shouldn't eat meat. Some believe you can't eat meat. Some, some believe that you ought to dress a certain way. And others believe, don't believe you should dress a certain way. Some believe you should never get a tattoo. Others believe you should get a bunch of tattoos. I mean... But we should never, some believe the carpet ought to be red. Some believe it ought to be blue. Some believe it ought to be green. Some believe we ought not have carpet. So we got gray and that killed it all right there. But, but what I'm saying is, do you know that churches have split on carpet color? Churches have split on, on, on the silliest stuff. No, when it's a non-essential, I mean, chill. If it's a non-essential. You want to get a bunch of tattoos? Go ahead. You want your hair to be purple? Go ahead. We love purple hair here. Pink hair, blue hair, no hair. We got it all. Come on. I, I, I'm not going to divide over a non-essential. But essentials, if you say to me, I don't believe that Christ was the son of the living God. I have no basis to fellowship with you. Now, I can, I can have an acquaintance relationship with you. But I not, there's no fellowship there because fellowship revolves around the person and work of Christ. That's it. So he's saying these, to these women, whatever the issue was, it was a non-essential. And he's saying to them, get it together. Quit this. Quit giving the devil an opportunity. Don't let the devil mess with your church over this. Mature people, listen to me, church. Mature people... Get over this being offended over every little thing. I mean, we're, we're in a, an offended. Show me anybody in our culture that's not offended, and I'll show you somebody in the minority. And that's what political correctness has done to us. Political correctness has done this to us 
a false philosophy, a false worldview, a false belief system. And the whole nation is offended. I mean, I'm talking about a bunch of crybabies. I mean, you can't look the wrong you can't look the wrong way without somebody being offended with the way that you looked that way. Everybody's offended. And you want to say to the whole country, would you grow up and get over it? We have bigger fish to fry. I mean, we got a major issue in America, tons of them, and, and we've got a very dangerous world we're living in. Can we please stop this silly, I'm offended, you offended me. And we pick up our marbles and go home. We leave churches over the stupidest thing. This is in none of my notes. But we, it doesn't take anything to blow somebody out of a church. Well, I got offended. They said this, did that, went there, I don't know, and I got offended. So I'm going to the next church. Well, you think you're not going to get offended there? But you know why? Because people are there. If you found a church, there's no people, you might, you might get away with not getting offended. But if you go to another church, you're going to get offended. Somebody's going to say something, look at you crossways, and you're going to be offended. Are you going to let offenses drive you or are you going to let Jesus drive you? Are you going to be offense driven or are you going to be spirit driven? So these two women, they were at each other's throats. They were offended. And Paul said, get over it, get it together. And then he, he kind of let them down softly. He says in verse three, he softens the blow. He says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. He's talking about Euodia and Syntyche. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We can sense in his words that he suspects they may need help in mending their differences. This, this breach, whatever it was, was, was deep. And so he says, help, help these women. Sometimes you need a mediator just to step in and listen to both sides and just say, hey, here's the way I see it. And here's what you can do and you can do to mend this right now. So, so help these women. Sometimes we need help in marriage. You know, you, you get crossways with one another. And sometimes over the, have you ever just ended up in an argument and halfway through all the bellering and screaming, you go, what are we arguing about? It started out, I can't even remember what it started out about, but here it's gone into this. And you end up arguing about something that wasn't even the original issue. He says, help these women. Help these women. But in rebuking them, he also honors them. He says, these women who labored with me in the gospel, these, these two quarreling women had labored with Paul in the gospel and this issue had sidetracked them. And he wisely mentions, along with the fact that their names were written in the book of life. He says, not only do they labor with me, they're, they're honorable in that they labor with me. They're having a problem, but they're still honorable. And, and, and he said, listen, their, their names are also in the book of life. They're going to heaven. Don't forget, they're going to heaven. They're just having a problem. Godly rebuke, folks, is never designed to destroy or demoralize anyone. If it comes from God, it will never destroy you and it will never demoralize you. Okay? It comes to help us be better. It protects us from the damage of going astray. And it comes in a spirit of love every time. If it's condemning, it's not from God. 
Somebody said something to me a couple of weeks ago, and it stabbed me. It did. It stabbed me. For a minute there, it just stabbed me. And I drove away, and, and the Lord seemed to say to me, Jeff, let me ask you a question. Where did that come from? Did that come from me? Did that come from me? And I had to say, I hope not. And I knew that it had not come from the Lord. You know why? Because, because it was not in love. It was critical. And it was, it was designed to stick me. And so I had to go, well, since it didn't come from the Lord, why should I care about it? Why should I care about it if it didn't come from him? Right? So you guys think I just float from service to service and nothing happens to me. But I deal with the devil all the time in ways you'll never know because of what I do. And I'm, so I, I had to say to myself, if it didn't come from God, why would I worry about it? If it came from God, it would be lovingly corrective and it would help me be better. But it wasn't designed to make me better. So I threw it out the back door. Next, in verse 4, Paul returns to his constant refrain of encouraging them to rejoice. That's why we call, why we call this the, let, the joyful letter, Philippians, the joyful letter, because here he goes again. He cannot get off the subject of rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Everybody say always. always. I've never done that. Have you ever done that? Always. It helps to once again remind ourselves of where this man is writing these words from. He's chained. He's in a prison. It stinks. It's dirty. He has no freedom to do what he loves to do best, which is travel from city to city and town to town, preaching the gospel. He can't do it anymore. He's locked up. He's, not, he's lost his freedom. But he says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Where in the world is he getting this? Rejoice always. No. If it was us, we'd be saying, get the best lawyer you can find to get me out of this unfair imprisonment. But no, he just says rejoice. God's got it all under control. Rejoice. God's got it. Just rejoice. Paul's answer to all the problems of life is Jesus Christ. He believed that rejoicing in Christ Jesus would dispel discord and overcome the negatives of life like distressing thoughts, setbacks, persecution, tears. He said, listen, if you want my prescription for you, I'm telling you, rejoice, do it always, make a practice of it, teach yourself to be a rejoicer, train yourself to be a rejoicer, make the choice to rejoice when you shouldn't have a reason to rejoice, learn to do it. That's my prescription. It'll, it'll keep you sane in an insane world. And folks, this is so needed in life. Life is tough. Is it not tough? And it's grim. What today? Another shooting in Philadelphia. Policeman shot. A gun war. So much violence. So much unrest. So much pain. There are times I just feel the pain of the world. I want to weep. It it just gets me. I don't know how God watches it without wrapping this whole thing up. If I were God, I'd wrap it up right now. But I'm not God. 
Sometimes burdens come out of nowhere that seem to crush us to the dust, don't they? Painful heartbreaks can almost make us long to leave this world. I held somebody yesterday in my arms, totally crushed, totally heartbroken. They could not even breathe. I had to teach them, tell, encourage them to breathe deep. And I'm looking at this person, totally heartbroken, beside themselves, crushed. Regrets from foolish mistakes can beat us down like an invisible hammer until we groan deeply in our souls, saying with David, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. The answer for Paul to all these things was rejoice in the Lord and do it all the time. Make the choice to rejoice. Can we rejoice in the Lord right now and just say, Jesus, we're rejoicing in you. Amen. Come on, everybody. We rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Amen. Wow. I I hate to have to move on from these really powerful verses. But then in verse 5, the apostle offers another nugget of godly advice. He says, hey, while you're at it, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Well, I read that and I go, gentleness, what's that about? Well, the word gentleness is translated from a Greek word meaning yieldedness or selflessness. And it refers to the willingness to at any time choose the Lord's will over your own. That's what he means by gentleness. Let your gentleness be seen by all men. Let your willingness to choose his will over your own be seen as a testimony of true faith to men that are watching you. Jesus said in the garden, you all know it, not my will, but thine be done. Paul says, let men see your resolve to choose Christ over yourself in light of the fact and always remembering that the Lord is near. The Christian does what he does and lives how he lives with the constant awareness that Jesus could return at any moment. So when you choose God's will over your own and men and women are watching you because you've told them you're a believer, then they say, look at that. They chose their Jesus over their own desires. And that testifies. Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that men will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now next, Paul deals with the biggest joy stealer I know of, the thief of worry. I had a real day yesterday because last night I was holding somebody who is so tormented with worry They don't know. I couldn't believe it because I'm teaching on this tonight. But so tormented with worry, they said to me, somebody very close to me, a young man very close to me said, I'm so tormented with worry, I I, I can't enjoy life. And so I told this person, I said, I'm going to teach on that tomorrow night. You might want to tune in in case you're there. But let's talk about worry because worry happens. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Now, anxious is from a word meaning distracted or divided. It's another word for worry. And what the word tells us is it divides our attention away from one thing onto something else that we're afraid of. 
Worry and fear work as twin killers. Worry is fear and fear is worry. As a matter of fact, worry is fear prolonged. You're worried about something happening you're afraid of. If you weren't afraid of it, you wouldn't worry about it. So you're, uh, you get a fear, then you go, uh-oh, I better worry about this. Because this could happen. And that's the onset of worry. Worry destroys our ability to put full focus on the things of God and the things we ought to be focused on because we are divided, we're distracted, we're pulled away in our mind onto something we're afraid of and we're starting to worry about. Jesus told us three times in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. He didn't say pray about it. He didn't say you might want to think about it. He said, don't do it. Don't worry. And he said, here's the three things I don't want you to worry about. Don't worry about your life in general. Don't worry about tomorrow. And don't worry about having what you need. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about having what you need or not having what you need. Don't worry about not having your, your needs met. Don't worry about provision issues. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about your life as a whole. Don't worry about you. He slammed worry as having no value as a problem solver. Worry never solves anything. Worry makes problems worse. Worry doubles your trouble. Worry is like a dark room where negatives are developed. Here's what I have come to believe about worry. It's a learned response to the stresses of life. I don't think you're born a worrier. I think you learn to worry. Now, let me tell you the truth about me. I was raised in a family of worriers. On my dad's side, they were professional worriers. Professional worriers. If you didn't want to worry about it, you could call anybody on my dad's side. They'd worry for you. Uh, on my dad's side, I couldn't talk to anybody on my dad's side without hearing all the things they were worried about. And my dad was a worrier. And he was always on the hamster wheel of worry, getting nowhere, just running, getting nowhere. Worry. Worry about this, worry about that, worry about the other. Sit down and I realized he learned it and his, his family had learned it. And I had picked it up and my sisters had picked it up. And I found out that the devil started using what I had learned to to bring me to a place of losing my peace all the time because I was worried so much about things, most of which never happened. If you grow up around worriers, you're likely a worrier yourself because you saw stresses and pressures of life coming and the way they responded to it was not with positive thinking, but with worry. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, surely... This or that or the other is bound to happen. Well, how do you know? I just know it's going to happen. Well, how do you know? I just have this feeling. It's going to happen. The bad is going to happen. You better get ready because it's going to happen. Oh, what are we going to do when it does happen? And how will we handle it when it happens? And, and, and any little trigger, you say, oh, here it comes. Just what I told you was going to happen. And, and I learned that worry is faith in reverse. 
Worry is a is sort of a satanic type of faith. As a matter of fact, worry is Satan's answer to faith. Because what is faith? It's when you have a confident expectation that something good is going to happen. What is worry? It's when you have a confident expectation something bad is going to happen. So you're believing it's going to happen. You're expecting it to happen. You're all wound up about it happening. You're already preparing for a bad report. So I had to learn to unworry. I had to learn how to unworry. I'd learn how to worry. How do you unworry? Paul tells us. He says, let me tell you how to get rid of worry. I'm in prison. I don't know if my head's going to be lopped off, but let me tell you something. I'm not worried. I've learned how to unworry. He tells us how. In everything. Everybody say everything. By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. First, says Paul, pray about what you're worried about. You say, well, I knew all this. I know the song. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I know you know it, but do you do it? That's, that's the biggie. Instead of worrying about it, if you catch yourself worrying about it, expecting the bad. Three people at my job have already gotten the pink slip. I just know I'm next. I'm convinced I'm next. You go home to your wife, honey, I'm next. She tells the kids he's next. (laughs) If we could hear the dogs talking, the dogs are talking. Well, he's next. And the whole house is under this prophecy, right? You're worried about it. How do you get rid of that? You, you, You say, family, instead of worrying about it, let's pray. Let's pray about it. Let's take it to God in prayer. He says everything. That means everything you're worried about, take it to God in prayer. Everything. Little things, big things, medium things. Everything. If you're worried about a dime or you're worried about $10,000, pray about both. So pray about it. Pray about it. Pray about it. Don't worry about anything, but take everything to God in prayer. Then... You tell God about what's stressing you. Tell, tell God. Say, Lord, man, Lord, I'm really uptight. Tell God. What do you think? He's going to rebuke you for, for having an issue, for worrying? He already knows it. Are you going to tell him something he doesn't already know? Lord, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm truly worried. Really? You think I don't know? My Holy Spirit inside of you has already prayed for you. Pour out your heart in honesty to God. David said, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Talk to him about your worries. Place your cares in his hands. Ask him to help you, strengthen you, and uphold you. Give it to him. Cast it on to him. Now, second, once you've brought it to him, leave it there. Don't give something to God only to take it back. Don't give something to God only to take it back. Leave it where you left it. Leave it where you left it. Don't go pick it up again. How do you pick it up again? You start worrying. I gave it to God. I gave it to God. You know, a lot of people getting pink slips, God. I give this to you. And, and, And you have peace for about five minutes, and then you walk away and you start thinking, 
Once again, here it goes. And, and you reel that thing back in, and you're worried about it now, and you've taken it out of the nail-scarred hands, and you've got it back in your own mind. And, and the, Paul's message is, once you take it to him, leave it where you left it. You haven't really cast something onto God if you soon take it back by worrying about it. Third, and finally, praise about it. Praise about it. Paul says we should pray with thanksgiving. Thank and praise God for hearing you. Praise is the ultimate expression of overcoming faith. It is, praise. If you can just lift up your hands and praise God after you've prayed about something stressing you, you will find that that is the ultimate expression of faith because praise says God's got it. He heard me. It's done. Praise him. That's why we love to praise God here. That's why we love to praise God here. Can we lift our hands and just praise God? I want you to lift your hands and say, Lord, I praise you that you've got it. You've got it. You've got my issue. You've got my problems. You've got me. You know, and you've got it, Lord. And I praise you that it's a settled issue in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just have, let's just have a benefit for a minute. Have a benefit for a minute. Praise him. Praise him. Those of you listening by radio, driving down the highway, just don't lift up your hands. Keep your hand on the wheel, but praise him right now. Right where you are, just praise him. You in your house, praise him. Right where you are, just praise him. Have a benefit. Have a praise fit. Thank you, Lord. 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 Amen, 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 amen. That's how you deal with worry. But now by the Holy Spirit, he brings a promise for those who do that. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your once worried mind through Christ Jesus. Picture a door with a fully armed guard standing on both sides. You can't go through the door without going through them. That's what God's peace does for us. It stands at the door of our heart, and it refuses to let worry and fear through. It, the, it, the peace of God drops a sword across that door right in front of worry and fear and says you're not entering their heart or their mind. It guards your heart and mind. You remember the popular song, In Every Life We Have Some Trouble, But When You Hurry You Make It Double, So Don't Worry, Be Happy. I would sing it for you, but I want you staying for the next few minutes. <laughs> now, let me close out with, he, he gives another weapon against worry, and that's what you think about. We'll close with this. Finally, brethren, if you really want to kick worry, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there's any virtue and anything praiseworthy, set your thoughts on these things. To overcome worry, we've got to bring our thoughts into line with God's word. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for doing what? Pulling down three things. Strongholds. What is a stronghold? It's something that holds you strong that's not of God. A stronghold holds you strongly, and it's not from God. It's a bondage. So strongholds, arguments, and high things that exalt themselves against you having a knowledge of God. 
and they bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is why we must be in the word every day because the word goes into our mind and it brings down strongholds. It brings down arguments. It brings down negativity. It brings down fear. It brings down doubt and it keeps your brain free because worry is fueled by renegade thoughts that are not submitted to Christ. Doubts unbelief, fear, but by the power of God's word and his indwelling spirit, we can learn to unworry by training our minds to think on what is virtuous and praiseworthy. And we literally, we kick out bad thoughts by putting in the good thoughts. Close with verse nine. Let's stand together. I want you to read with me verse nine. Let's read it out loud together. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. They not only heard Paul's teachings, but they received, look what he said, received, learned and received. That means they practiced them. They acted on what they'd heard. Now, we've heard a lot of things tonight. You can walk out of here in bondage to worry. You can walk out of here and worry with the best of them. So can I, or we can together practice what we just heard. Kick worry out. Don't live in worry and fear. Don't have a divided mind, but have a mind that is set free. Do you want that tonight? Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Scott, lead us. Let's just sing a chorus to him. Lift your hands to Jesus. Sing, he sets me free. He sets me free. Oh, yes, he does. He sets me free. He sets me free. He's so good to me. Amen. 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 Now, let me quickly, before I release you, Sunday night at 5.30. Now, Sunday, I might be preaching on worry. It's moving on me. You might have just gotten a foretaste of a message I might bring on worry. Don't know, but I'm kind of thinking about it, praying about it. But whatever it is, it's going to be the word of God. I want you to bring somebody who needs the Lord. You're a witness. You're a testament. You're an evangelist. You're God's minister. Invite somebody. Invite somebody. Uh, then at 530, we're having intercessory prayer. That has been so good. Man, it has been so good. And if you want to just come and just pray through your problems, pray through your worries, we'll be here Sunday night at 530. And uh, we spend one hour praying, worshiping praying for one another. Um, we've anointed with oil several times, people that just needed prayer. So we're here at 5.30. Then don't forget that worship audition. Boy, we need people to be there for the worship audition. We need some, we need some instrumentalists.
we need some good guitar players. Oh, would we love a fluent pianist. A good one. Because we're having a couple of people leave to go off to school and stuff. We, we're having some departures. So we need some replacements. All right? If you can sing, come to the audition. All right? And don't forget the women's conference. Right, Cindy? Do you want to say anything? Or just, uh, ladies, uh, the, the, the lunch is sold out already. And, and the number of women that are coming is growing by the day. So this is going to be a great conference, I'm telling you. Uh, we're doing this because we love you. And we want you to be blessed. And we want for God to bring together the women in our church. Because what a force that is. Amen? What a force that is. All right. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for how it blessed us and touched us. And I pray over the people as they go. Your congregation. They would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Bless them, Lord, in their storehouse. Bless them in the field of labor. Bless their going out when they leave in the morning. Bless their coming in when they come home at night. Bless their homes with peace and harmony and unity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good night.